0: Hello and welcome once again to Horrific Tales. Before we begin can I just ask that you like and share these videos, help gain as much exposure as possible for our wonderful artists who kindly lend their talents to the show. In this tale a group of survivors try to navigate a brand new world, as well as reconnect with that of their past and what they love. Join us now as I present to you, Worldquake, by Mark Hobson. From where he was sitting on the small boulder, Kenny Leland might have been the only person still alive in the whole world. Perhaps he had been transported during the night to some strange mythical land, like Shangri-La, he wondered, or maybe he had stepped back in time seven million years to an Earth as yet untouched by humans. Stretching away before him, nearly as far as the eye could see, dense white cloud lay over everything. The whole of the island, with the exception of the upper reaches of the mountain, was hidden beneath the fluffy cotton wool blanket. Way off in the distance, he thought he could just make out the dark blue of the sea, with a thin horizontal band of paleness above, where the new day was just dawning. Soon, the fairy sun would creep into view and burn away the clouds. But for now, at a little after five in the morning, the night still held dominance. Above him, the last of the stars were flickering weakly, as though reluctant to concede to the majesty of sunlight. The curving orb of the moon, its craters and features, so vivid and clear at this altitude, was Kenny's only companion. Whereas he had spent the long night looking at this heavenly body, it now scrutinised him. It hung in the sky, like some celestial eyeball, unblinking and all seeing. He liked to come out here at this time of the morning, to sit on the same rock and gaze at this same vista, to watch the colours as they changed from black to pale grey, and finally the orange as the first rays from the sun crested the eastern horizon to sit and observe, this time with his eyes instead of through a computer monitor. Kenny lit a cigarette and inhaled the smoke. He ought to try and quit. He tried once, but swapped tobacco for vaping, but last week he quit those instead and gone back to his marlboros. Stopping smoking seemed a bit redundant now. It was cold as high on the mountainside at such an early hour, so he zipped up his sleeveless puffer jacket. He could see his breath he Could feel the frozen ground beneath his shoes. Still he lingered. Looking to go back inside. And he stayed there, perched above the carpet of cloud, for five more minutes, and then, with a groan and a creaking of his knees, he came to his feet. Stopping out the cigarette, he fished out another from his pack and shoved it behind his ear for later. Then he turned back around to face the huge structure behind him. The European famous node, or ETN as he and his colleagues referred to it, was the newest of the Institute of Astrophysics telescopes at the Tide Observatory on the island of Tenerife built and paid for by the British government. It had come online six months ago. Kenny was one of the IAC researchers who worked there as a liaison from Jodrell Bank, therefore he liked to affectionately think of it as his child, his very own private lab with a price tag of £22 million. In the few months that he had been there, Kenny had grown very possessive of the telescope, so much so that he hated the time when he finished his 12-hour overnight stints and he had to hand over to one of the other team members. If he could, he would even set up a small camp bed in the primer stove and live there full-time. But that wasn't remotely viable, so he had pitched them with the rest of the team inside the large accommodation block on the mountain's western flank. He was tired and yearned for his bed. Before he could get some rest, he needed to finish up compiling his report on last night's observations and handed in. Kenny trudged along the path and climbed the set of stairs up the side of the famous, its crisscross mounting bracket was angled towards the moon. At the top, he paused and turned, leaning on the railing for one final look at the view. The sun lay on the horizon now, shining over the cloud tops, illuminating the dozen or so telescopes and buildings that made up the Tade Observatory. He closed his eyes briefly and held his breath and counted to ten. Then he went inside. Kenny worked his way over to his cluttered workstation. He pushed three desks together in a horseshoe shape. They contained his three touchscreen desktops, a Chromebook, an optical spectrometer interface, a CCD device for digital imaging, star charts and lunar maps, four crinkled styrofoam coffee cups, one of these had left stain rings on his folder, a calendar and the remains of a half eaten tuna salad sandwich. Sitting in a swivel chair, Kenny leaned forward to peer at the, the centre post monitor. It contained a life feed image of the moon, overlaid with a white grid pattern of squares. Each square held a set of ever changing letters and numbers, some of which clicked around so fast that it was impossible to read them. At the side, there were more numbers listed under mean obliquity, mean inclination, procession of line of apsides, synodic. The perigee should have read 363,000 km, but was now showing 226,000 km. Likewise, the apogee was down from 404,000 km to 306,000 The angular diameter was way off as well. Kenny rubbed the bridge of his nose and then reached for the nearest coffee cup and slurped at the cold and congealed contents, grimacing from the revolting taste. He scrunched it up into his fist and tossed it towards a waste paper pen, watching as it hit the rim and bounced away. He spent the next 10 minutes printing off all the latest data, then gathered the sheets of paper together and put them into the folder. Leaving the room via the automatic door, he walked along a wide passageway connecting his lab to the admin centre. The elevator hub was empty of people at this time in the morning and as he waited he could hear and feel the faint thrum of machinery pulsing in the air. Kenny took the elevator to the third floor, stepped out and turned sharply right, and tapped lightly on the door facing him. Name to affix the wall read, Antonio De La Rosa, head of projects department, his boss. He pushed the door open and walked in, his eyes as always drawn to the huge panorama beyond the plate glass window. The clouds had moved on, and now Kenny had a non-obstructive view. Tade Mountain dropped away in a series of dramatic folds and ridges to the wide bay far below, Volcanic soil was brown and devoid of vegetation. The cable car which transported tourists up and down throughout the day was just coming into view on its first ascent of the morning. On board there would be the serious hikers, determined to beat the midday heat. The families and sightseers would come later, after they had roused themselves from last night's partying. They would wander around for a couple of hours, take a few selfies and perhaps pay for the guided tour of the observatory. Then they would return to their hotels or head to the beach. The exertion of visiting the mountain having sapped their strength. I envy them, Kenneth, a voice said in a heavily accented English, intruding on his thoughts. I wish I could swap places with those people. Antonio De La Rosa was a dapper and slim-built man in his early forties, with prematurely graying but thick hair and a handsome face. His brown eyes and long lashes had broken many a female heart over the years, no doubt. He was happily married, with a young wife and three beautiful daughters. They were currently in Madrid. He had a framed picture of them on his work desk, angled towards him. He was drinking from a bottle of spring water and tapping away on the keyboard and did not look up until Kenny approached and lowered himself into a chair. The tired eyes and stubble shadowing his jaw told Kenny that his supervisor had not slept or left his office all night. Indeed, he seemed to work twenty-four hours per day, the pressure and stress apparently spurring him on way beyond the limit of human endurance. Kenny quietly laid the folder onto the desk, noticing the brief look it drew from Antonio, the tiny hesitation in his typing. He waited patiently, content to put off the inevitable, for just a short while longer. Finally, the department head sat back in his chair and stared hard at the brown manila folder, his jaw clamped together. Then He reached out and slid it towards himself. He ran his fingers around the edge like he was daring himself to open it and read the contents. A movement that would require a forceful act of will. Well, he asked quietly, is it what we thought? Afraid so, Antonio, the brown eyes flicked up to meet his and there was a sad little smile on the man's lips. My bad. Scenario 1 or 2? Number 3. Codename, Epoch. Shit. The shoulders sagged and Kenny saw the eye skitter across at the photo of his family. Kenny reached over and opened up the folder for his supervisor, tapping the top page of the thick sheaf of papers. Everything firms up, the stats and projections. I spent most of the night crunching the numbers, looking, no hoping for anomalies in the data. But there's nothing, and I mean nothing, would suggest that we've misrepresented the results. Our Russian and Chinese counterparts have no doubt come to the same conclusions over Moscow and Beijing by now. But how can this be happening, Kenneth? Antonio asked, now looking at the papers. How can the lunar progress just change by 27 degrees? He struck the table angrily and shook away the tears that had appeared in his eyes. How? How? He hissed. Kenny just opened his arms and shrugged helplessly. There was no answer. We'll probably never know. The forces involved are beyond our current understandings of the laws of astrophysics. The Lunar Core's mass variables of late might be the answer, but that would be my best guess. But really, we're just clutching straws. We're like little infants here. The rules need to be rewritten. Antonio was shaking his head. It makes me feel small. and Insignificant. The Spaniard was mumbling. Kenny appraised his boss quietly, watching the emotions play out on his tan features. I do Kenneth, before, you know, we should feel the effects in the next week, perhaps. Maybe two. But that's the beginning, though. The initial phase, as you know, the Earth's magnetic field will be in flux. So that will mean lighter nights. Then we will experience geological displacement for many months, possibly years. Is there anything at all that will be safe? You know the best place to be, Antonio. When it begins, is up there. Kenny jabbed his thumb to the roof ceiling. On the International Space Station, those guys—they'll have the best seat in the house for the greatest show of all time, all played out right before their very eyes, with not a thing that they can do to stop it. The only downside to that, of course, is the knowledge that they'll be stuck up there, spinning around the planet in their tin can, but with no chance of returning to Earth for a very long time, if ever. God, Antonio was suddenly looking very pale, like he might throw up. He pressed the back of his hand to his mouth, and swallowed several times to compose himself. You'd better call it in, Kenny told him. Antonio nodded quickly, as though just remembering his responsibilities. Before he reached for the phone on his desk, he looked up imploringly. His eyes moved rapidly from side to side, searching for reassurance. Shouldn't we warn the public and news organisations first? That's not our decision to make. Antonio picked up the framed picture of his family and studied their faces. The long blonde hair of his three daughters, which they had inherited from their mother. Our families, though, so they can... His voice trailed away. Kenny shook his head. An overwhelming feeling of sympathy welled up in his stomach. That's not the protocol, my friend. He reached over to the desk and gave the spiner's forearm a squeeze. Just focus on the task at hand, eh? One thing at a time. Don't think any further ahead than that. Kenny pushed himself to his feet. Putting the door closed behind him, he heard Antonio's brisk voice as he made the first of many telephone calls. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our latest Horrific Tale. If you want to keep up to date with future episodes, then subscribe to our YouTube channel and like or follow our social media pages. You can also give the channel support by visiting our merchandise store and picking up some of our items. Please also take a moment to support our contributing artists who very kindly lend their talents to the show. Check out the links in the description on how you can do this. Well that just leaves me to say. Until next time my friends, keep it creepy. Keep it. Horrific.